Welcome to episode number 28 and in this week's business interview you'll discover the following three golden insights. Number one, the truth about network marketing businesses and why there are so many misconceptions. Number two, how being able to keep the promises that you make to yourself is crucial to building resilience and longevity in business. And number three, why most of us overestimate what we can achieve in a year, but underestimate what we can accomplish in a decade. So stay tuned for all of that and so much more on this week's episode of The Truth About Business. I'm Benjamin Brain, and by day, I'm a director of a multi-award winning family-run business. And by night, I interview successful business owners to share their journeys, experiences and truths to serve as inspiration, motivation and first-hand education for like-minded entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs to fast-track our own business success. This is the truth about business, told by those who have been there, done that and have the scars to prove it. From the good times to the bad, the marketing strategies and sales tactics to the productivity hacks and success habits. I'm here to give you the de-sugar-coated version of what it's really like and what really works. If you're thinking of starting a business or are already in business, I created this for you. So let's get started. But before we do, I just want to give a quick shout out to SP Dev, who was kind enough to leave another fabulous five-star review on iTunes. So this person said, one of the best business podcasts out there. I'm with you on that one. Really enjoyed listening to the backlog of episodes over the past few weeks. Was great to be a featured guest and get to share a snippet of my story. So thank you so much for taking the time to leave such a brilliant review. And if you'd like a shout out on next week's episode, you know what to do. So let's get back to this week's interview. In today's episode, I talk business with Matt Elliott. Since starting out his career at his local pet store at the tender age of just seven years old, Matt then spent some time in the armed forces with aspirations of becoming a bodyguard. But he found he had a passion and a skill for being a personal trainer and helping people to live happier and healthier lives. After leaving the forces, Matt's talent was discovered by Adidas and for the next two years he served as a global fitness ambassador where he enjoyed the life of a rock star being flown business class around the world, staying in the finest hotels and performing personal training to hundreds of people at a time in stadiums around the globe. On his return, Matt was determined to launch a business for himself and after looking into a variety of options, he stumbled upon Herbalife a billion-dollar network marketing business that had the backing of the likes of Cristiano Ronaldo and the LA Galaxy. So starting from scratch, Matt grew his business exponentially over the first two years, and almost a decade later, Matt is a permanent feature in the Herbalife top 2% in the world, with a team of over 1,500 people, and once again enjoys a lifestyle similar to that from the Adidas days. To find out more about Matt and the services he provides, you can find him on LinkedIn under Matt Elliott, Matt and Elliott with two T's, or you can visit his website at www.24darby.com. This was a brilliant interview with another inspirational, high-performance entrepreneur who has cracked the code to building an incredibly successful network marketing business, and he openly talks about the misconceptions that many people have about this type of setup. You know, success leaves footprints, so let's take a walk with the passionate, successful and life-changing health and nutrition entrepreneur, Matt Elliott. Okay, Matt, so thank you for joining us on The Truth About Business. Now, we know from the intro a bit about your background and what you do. 
Now, you've built a successful um, network marketing business over the last few years. As with most businesses, you've succeeded where other people have failed. If you could pick maybe one or two things that you feel have contributed towards your success that you would teach to somebody else, what would they be? I think for me, it's I'm very emotionally consistent and I think that's paid off for me. So what I mean by emotionally consistent is I'm, I'm detached from the outcome of what's going to come from me talking to somebody. With, uh, with our industry, you, you've got to be getting into conversations all the time. But the problem is when you go into conversation, there's an expectation of something coming out from it. Generally, you're then emotionally attached to the outcome of whether that person is either going to say yes, no, they're going to tell you to off or whatever it is that they, they're going to do. So people are already pinning their hopes on what's going to happen as a result of a conversation rather than just being detached from the outcome and going through the process, you know, as if it was just every every business has got systems and processes in place. So for me, that is part of my systems and processes is getting into conversations and just being detached from the outcome of, of where that conversation is going to go. So it's just starting conversations with people without having any expectations that anything good or bad or or whatever is going to come off off the back of it. Yeah, you know, and also kind of paying a little bit of lip service to what people say that they're going to go and do. So, you know, it's it's the age-old adage of, you know, you believe what people do not what people say. So, actually letting them you know go through their own process and seeing what comes on off off the back end rather than having expectation on people and then attaching your emotional outcome to that i think that's served me you know pretty well just being emotionally consistent not having the highs not having the lows i mean in business obviously you've got highs and lows and all that kind of stuff but if you can you know maintain that emotional you know detachment that that consistency of you know you're not getting too excited but you're not getting too low and you're just sort of i guess rolling with the punches and not having any expectation on on people, then I think that served me quite well personally. So that emotional consistency, that detachment from the outcome, is that something that you've had to practice yourself, or is that something that you were sort of naturally gifted with? Uh, absolutely. You know, when when I uh, when I came out of the forces, my I'm not going to say my temper was different, but my I suppose my temperament was different because you no, know, it had to be. The whole point of when you go into the forces, you know, they I suppose they separate the civilian from from the soldier, or they turn the civilian into soldier, should we say? So, of course, my um, how I was when I left the forces is very very different to to how I am now. So, I've had to learn by going through that process of of working with people. And having that emotional detachment, I, you know, I figured out quite early on that, you know, you believe what people do, not what they say. And, you know, you haven't got a result until the result actually shows up. So that's that's generally what I what I speak to the team about is, it's, look, go through the process, have the conversations, but, you know, just don't pin any hopes on people. Because a lot of people, they overestimate what they can do, certainly in our industry, they overestimate what they can do in a year and underestimate what they can do in five to 10 years. So I think because society at the moment has been compressed into this instant gratification, I want the, I want to be a millionaire tomorrow and, you know, all this, this crazy stuff that I think has pretty much come as a result of social media. Everybody expect that result tomorrow and they want it and they get disheartened when it doesn't show up rather than, you know, extending their vision slightly to a five to 10 year, you wouldn't walk into into your business and expect to be director within the next year. It just wouldn't happen because you've got to earn your, your stripes unless you're specifically being 
sort of fast-tracked along. Yeah, unless you're being recruited to be a director. You're not going to walk in as shop floor and then bang, you're going to be a director overnight. So I don't know why people expect that in in all the other areas of, of life. It's, you know, it's... It's mysteries of the mind, I suppose. I don't know. Yeah, I think you're right. A lot of it has got to come down to social media where you look at people's profiles and it seems like almost overnight they've got Lamborghinis, they're having massive house parties and it's it's that lifestyle that people aspire to, isn't it? But certainly it's also even with the 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 people who are, are very good in business and have built successful businesses, the stories that sell are the overnight stories, aren't they? Mm-hmm. Whereas you don't see the years and decades of hard work, challenges and struggles that people have had to get through because that's not glamorous. You know, people generally don't want to hear about that. People don't want to know. It takes some solid graft and decades of hard work to build a big business. They'd far rather believe that if I become an entrepreneur today, I'm going to be a millionaire tomorrow. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'd it's funny because it's it's kind of seemed to have come from nowhere as well, you know, because I, and probably you did as well, grew up in the, you know, the era of Richard Branson and, you know, seeing the, you know, going through the Virgin Atlantic and then Virgin Holly, all the, you know, this brand building thing that, that spanned 20, 25, 30 plus years, yet suddenly from, from out of nowhere, we've got this, I, I'm waking up tomorrow, I'm going to be a, a, an instant TikTok, Insta, YouTube, whatever millionaire or success. And then people generally, I think there's a, there's a real issue with resilience these days, which is probably another tip that I would, I would give to people is, is, you know, practice the art of being resilient and, and grit and, and staying in the game. And it just seems to me that people quit too early. And I know certainly within the network marketing industry, um, that is rife because I don't know whether they're, they're over-promised right at the very start. Something I've always done with uh, with people that I work with or that I bring into the organisation that I bring into the team is is be as transparent as I possibly can on what it's actually going to take to get this thing working. It is even though we're a very different style of business, we're still a business. And for me to be able to get somebody going, it's it's about being transparent with just what it's going to take to get the momentum in order to start this thing this thing going. Now. If I sold them on a, a dream, and this is why network marketing or, or multi-level marketing has got, or I think it, it's not helped itself, it's given itself a bad name because it's selling a dream that people try to aspire, aspire to, to reach and then when they fall short or they don't give it the length of time that it needs to actually produce the results, they quit and then because it's it's not worked, it's this, it's a pyramid scheme, it's all that kind of stuff. Well, actually, no, you just didn't stay in the game long enough and you didn't exercise the resilience, you didn't go through the ebbs and flows of, of natural business, you can't expect to build a property business, an e-commerce business, you know, a building company without understanding that there's the, the law of, um, of gestation in there. You, know, you can't have a baby in one month for good reason because to produce a healthy baby, it's going to take nine months to do so. So just the same as you can't produce a healthy business that's going to thrive and grow and have sustainable growth after one year, after six months. So I'm not sure why people pin that expectation on on network marketing. And like I say, we've probably made a rod for our own back uh, with you know showing that what can be done can be done fast. Because what we can do in network marketing actually is compress time because we're able to work with compound and leverage. So leverage being working with other people, work, working with their time, using their time, and compound as in working with multiple people um, at once, therefore leveraging compound. So we can compress time, but we can't compress it to a point where they're going to wake up tomorrow or next week or even next year with a five, six, seven figure a year income you know it's just not going to happen 
And for me, it's making sure that when people come into the organization or when people are just inquiring about network marketing, they understand it's no different to any other you know any other business that you're that you're going to go into yeah you're here to launch a business this is a a proper business that you're getting yourself involved with if you're treating it as such you know because it's a fantastic industry and it's a fascinating industry as well in that you know you can take mrs or mr jones two kids two dogs that just wants to make an extra few hundred quid a month around their current commitments and they can go ahead and do that. So instead of struggling to make ends meet, they can go and start their little side hustle, their side project, whatever you want to call it, and actually be able to bring themselves some some income in without them having to go and get a shift at the local pub or selling time for money. They're able to now start to you know build their thing on the side for it to produce what what they want. Similarly, if someone wants a you know a part time or a full time career, it gives that option as well. All you do is you just do more of it in order for it to produce. The, you know the the bigger result as it were okay so you, you've i mean i've got loads of questions off the back of that but going back to those those two things that you would teach to somebody who's about to start in business particularly in the network marketing side you've talked about emotional detachment and then resilience what are some of the ways or if somebody was sat here in front of us right now what's the first step for somebody who wants to improve their emotional consistency that you would advise go and do this so emotional consistency in terms of not being too attached to the outcome of what, for example, having a conversation. Of conversation, yeah. Is go and have more conversations. I, I think we are, we're in this society where people are trapped behind the phones, you know, kind of gone are the days, it's certainly in, in, in some areas, certainly within the UK, is the conversations over the garden fence don't happen anymore. You know, people aren't having these conversations. They're, in, they're living these transient lives. And I am generalizing here. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of, um, you know, solid communities in the UK. People don't generally talk to each other anymore, as in face to face. It's either on a screen or it just doesn't happen. You know, the when was the last time you walked down the street and someone said, "Hi, how are you?" Who you didn't know? Yeah, not very often. <laughs> yeah, I, I personally can't think of one um, other than one that I've initiated. Yeah. You know, "Hi, how are you?" How's things or whatever. Now I've got a, a cute little dog, so people generally do stop and we'll have a conversation. But it's it's practicing get because I think because they don't do it, they then get quite worried about actually having a, just a normal conversation or more importantly just having that practicing of the art of conversation because you want to ha- you want to meet somebody new you want to engage with another human being and having a conversation there doesn't need to be any expectation on on it and if it's something that you do struggle with and you need it for your business network marketing aside any kind of business is just go and have more conversations without there being any expectation hi how are you you know what have you been, what have you been up to today have you been busy? Or, you know all this kind of stuff. I laugh that you know it's the the conversation that you have with maybe a taxi driver. Yeah, you know, what time have you been on till? You know, getting into that kind of conversation. It's just practicing when you're going out and uh, and living your daily life and just having a having a chat. Yeah. So whether it's with the, the 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 chap on the checkout or the lady behind the counter at the coffee shop, just say hello, how are you, and start a conversation. Everything starts with relationships, and yeah. you can't build a relationship unless you know there's <laughs> there's an equal value exchange. You know, equal value exchange of, you know, hi, how are you? Yeah, I'm great. How are you? Yeah, fantastic. Great. It's an equal value exchange. You can't move into any kind of relationship, cold or other. So it doesn't matter whether you're in sales or whatever, a gym instructor at Lloyd's or anywhere, you've got to be able to be able to speak to people. And and I do think that overall it's become a bit of a lost art. And you also mentioned about practicing resiliency. For somebody who feels that they're not very resilient, they do give up at the first hurdle they don't have a lot of sticking power 
is there a is there a practice or are there situations that people can put themselves in to start gradually building that muscle and become more resilient good question that's a really good question i think i think accountability is perhaps the solution by building resilience means that you've got to be staying in the game so if you're you know forever quitting something or you're not you're not following something through you know that then self-confidence generally goes down self-confidence is just the lack of the ability to keep the promises that you keep to yourself so it for me it's about can you can you set yourself some promises and follow through? I think that's where, you know, whether that is, you know, following um, a healthy eating plan or whether it's that I'm going to commit to go out and, I don't know, train in the gym three times a week or something like that. The moment you quit on the promises that you make to yourself, self-esteem goes down. And then that's where I personally think that that then resilience starts to fail. So it starts to build, it starts to build, you're starting to flex the muscle. Then you quit on yourself for one reason or another, or you make an excuse or the little voice that everybody has in their head starts cropping up speaking to you and before you know it you've not flexed the muscle enough to start building it's like if you want to go and build muscle you've got to break the the tissue down and be sore in order for that to that that to happen you know it's no different i don't think for for building resilience but again that comes over time it comes from that six month a year or whatever of of doing something so you become that kind of battle hardened you know you start to develop the scar tissue then results in you seeing stuff through yeah and you've already mentioned with regards to a couple of misconceptions about the type of business that you're in but for those that don't really know the world of network marketing and i am firmly myself in that category obviously we hear things and people have various perceptions and misconceptions if you could summarize the difference between a a traditional what you would consider bricks and mortar business and a network marketing business what are the main sort of differences well a network marketing business generally is either a product or service that you've either used found or experienced that you enjoy sharing with other people that that's kind of the perfect storm where where network marketing is concerned so when i was looking um to to get involved and this all sort of it goes sort of around the houses and, and give you an idea of where the differences between the conventional business and network marketing lies is that I, because I was in, the, I was from the health and wellness industry, health and fitness industry, and had been for for a long time. Um, if I wanted to go, for example, and open a gym, it would cost me hundreds and hundreds of thousands of pounds to go and do that, irrespective of whether I was doing it my myself, whether it was for franchise or whatever. And you know, I'm not the kind of guy that would want to start the sort of business just from my backyard and and go from there. If I was going to go in, I was going to go all in. So. Back in sort of 2007, 2008, when I was looking at actually at what my options were, we were in the middle of the recession, banks weren't lending, and they certainly wouldn't be lending to, at the time, a 26-year-old lad who wanted to open a gym. So when I looked at uh, at my options, Herbalife came on, on the radar, and you know, it was the ability for me to get into a business, because when I looked at what we call our compensation plan, it solely relied on the perspiration that I was going to put on my forehead. So, you know, I didn't, I had a very, very low entry. I mean, sub 100 pounds entry into the company. And what I did from there was basically off, off my own back, uh, obviously surrounded by, you know, a, a team of great people. So I looked at the quote unquote conventional business and thought, well, maybe that's not for me. I'm going to give this a stab where I've not got that much to lose and, and see where it goes. So I could have either gone into debt for 
hundred grand and gone and got a franchise, or I could have started something off my my own back just with the perspiration on my forehead to see where it went and then and then try and figure this thing out. So you know, generally speaking, in terms of network marketing, you you have a product or a service and or both together. Because I was in the health and fitness industry. You know, I was into my supplementation and and healthy, active lifestyle, all that kind of stuff. So that kind of thing was a fit for me. Um, I enjoyed working with teams of people, which is how we work in in network marketing. It's me being able to teach somebody else to do what I do and then help them go and build their business. So I, you know, really thrived on that kind of thing. So it sort of created this this perfect storm where I could work in the health and wellness and health and fitness environment, teach people to help more people. I suppose that's the 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 bigger difference between a conventional business and a uh, and a network marketing business is is kind of like the Uber effect. You know, Uber doesn't own the cars, or most of them they, they don't own. They just have the drivers that go and do the driving. It's kind of the same here. I have access to an eight billion dollar nutrition company. All of their scientists, all of their PhDs, their legal team, their brand, Cristiano Ronaldo, LA Galaxy. I have all of this at my disposal, and I've had to pay nothing for it. So. For me, I thought, well, this is actually a no-brainer. Now, I'm sure that to anybody who is thinking of starting a business and wants to become a, a you know, a, a quote entrepreneur, that the way you've described it there sounds pretty good. You've got the backing of an eight billion dollar business for a very low entry fee. Why do you think network marketing traditionally sort of conjures up negative connotations? You've already mentioned you know, pyramid scheme and pyramid selling. From your experience, why do you think that people have these misconceptions and and where do they come from? And for anybody that does have a tainted view of this sort of business, what would you say? It's funny because I sit in obviously a couple of worlds, the health, fitness, nutrition world, which is heavily opinionated, probably the most opinionated industry in the world. You have network marketing, which has a lot of opinion about it and you put it together and you know I mean obviously there's many different network marketing companies it's it comes down to a lack of knowledge generally and not just a lack of knowledge so lack of a knowledge and opinion generally doesn't produce the most positive outcome in terms of uh, and couple that with social media and you know it's definitely one of those, I call it a pub conversation, that Uncle Barry's sister's brother did one of those things and lost all its money. And it's a vampire myth. It's one of these things that just refuses to just die, you know. So everybody's seen the the posts on Facebook of, I'm looking for 10 people to come and join my team and blah, 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 and all this, all this kind of stuff. And unfortunately, there's a lot of companies that don't train their their guys properly in order to in order to put themselves across in the best possible way. You know, you couple that with social media and, and this, that, and the other, and it, and it just doesn't do it doesn't do the industry any, any good. You know, it, it doesn't matter whether, hey, look, estate agents get a bad rap, but there are some fantastic estate agents, right? Yeah. There are network marketing, there's some fantastic distributions, some fantastic companies, but sometimes you just end up getting lumped in altogether and tarred as one of those things. You know, back in the sort of late 70s, 80s, when actual pyramid schemes and Ponzi schemes and all that kind of stuff was rife, was actually really when most of the major network marketing companies started to spring up. So unfortunately, they started getting lumped in with the same kind of thing. And before you know it, it's now known, it's known as one of those things. 
when when you get involved in a network marketing company, the worst thing you can do is to start buying up stuff like crazy. Now, this is what gives people uh, gives the uh, the industry a bad name as well. Is that if you're going in and over committing with no with no skill set, then it's no wonder that people can end up with stuff that they don't know how to shift or a product or a service that they don't know how to deliver because they've overcommitted on the front end. That is no different to someone thinking that they want to open a bike shop, buying a load of loads of bikes, and they know nothing about cycling. Yeah, and I, su- and I suppose when you mentioned earlier that low barrier to entry, it's a it's a pro for somebody with the right skill set and attitude because they've obviously got less to, to spend to get into a fantastic industry, but also for somebody that might be lacking in those attributes and experience and skill sets, would you say that it maybe sometimes attracts the wrong person because of that low barrier to entry, which is why there can be a failure rate sometimes? Yeah, you know, absolutely. And it, and what we what we did as a company was we we put in a load of safeguard rails for for people. So you know, we we stopped the amount of product that you could buy if you're new. We put in a twelve month money back guarantee. So if you know, worst case scenario, someone decides this isn't for me, they just they, they get their money back that kind of stuff um, and all this is available online to to uh, to see in black and white and you know what what we make sure we do where possible is look after the distributor the best we possibly can now we can't stop people because you're an independent business owner when you come into network marketing it says independent distributor at the start of your of your title so there's only so much that we can do. So if someone's going to go and be a fool and fill their shed up and then try to start flogging stuff and all this kind of stuff, then it's no wonder that they're going to get bitten. Like I said, it's exactly the same as if you're going to go and try anything and you overcommit and because, and you're underskilled, you know, it's, it's going to end badly for you. So unfortunately now as well, you uh, if you have a negative experience with anything before you know it you're on it's online it's on social media and then every mother and his brother jumps on and before you know it you've got comments like crazy and you've you've been assassinated so well with the low barrier to entry and not all network marketing has a low barrier to entry the reason why you know our entry is where it is is because people wanted to come to the company for the right reasons but they couldn't afford to join the company because if they were coming because they wanted to actually start something and they couldn't afford it, you know, we had to bring that down in order for them to gain access to actually get the traction, you know, to help them along the way. So, yes, of course, it can be one of those things where someone gives it a go and it's easy to pick up, but it's also very easy to put down because if something's under 50 quid for you to be able to get involved in, then, and it sits on the side because you're not done anything with it, then it is it's definitely a pro and a con you know, I think, you know, if I look back at the return on the investment from, from when I joined it, you know, it would just be ridiculous. And, you know, I, I don't think it's given the value that, that it can – people don't give it the value that it deserves, I don't think. And so for somebody out there now that's thinking of this this network marketing, it, it sounds good. I, you know, I've got the entrepreneurial skill set, mindset and attitude to go out and make something with this. What are some of the things that people should look for in a network marketing business because obviously like we've talked about with all industries there'll be the good ones and the bad ones what would you say people should be looking out for it's it's a really relevant question actually because i had um had someone message me 
not so long ago asking about you know they they knew me from a long time ago and they know they've known that I've been in the company for you know it's nine years th- this year so they were actually asking about another company and of course I've got no problem giving people advice on on what have you and you've you've got to ensure that the that the company has history so you know we're 40 years old this year and the first thing I said to them was, you know, how long has the company been around? Because it's highly likely that companies within network marketing under 10 years old, they generally disappear for whatever reason. Uh, next is, are they members of the Direct Sales Association? Because for the UK, that's that's really important because that's a regulatory body that they are they're part of. Have they got leadership and training structure in the country? So, you know, we often have these new fangled things come and join and try and break the UK and all this kind of stuff. Well, my first question to the people that are asking is, have you got leadership in place in order to be able to train the people that you're bringing in? If not, then you're going to scorch your landscape. And this comes back to the bad, I suppose, the the negative connotation of, of, of network marketing is that if you don't have good leadership in place so you can have sustainable growth, then how am I going to train my guys? Because if I'm brand new at this thing and I'm you know, inviting people to come and have a look at this opportunity and I don't know how to or where to or who's going to train them, then that's, that's a serious thing. Another one is, are these in other markets and have they succeeded in other markets? I think that's, that's quite a, a, relevant, a relevant one. Looking at the compensation plan, so you actually and understanding it—that's that's a real serious thing. You know how you're getting paid. You know, is it uh, reliant on on a couple of people, or can you do as much as you you want to? Is this going to produce you a return based on you know the hours that you're going to be wanting to, to put in? What typically are the compensation plans for the network marketing business? Is it you take a percentage of the product or service that you sell, or, or how does it work? It depends on how it's made up so for example in 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 the company that i'm in you have obviously retail income so you have products which is just general buy at x sell at y that kind of process you also have um, a royalty based or a residual base to that as well and you also have bonuses for those that are that are eligible to to collect them so um often you'll find that network marketing pays you in a number of different ways um, but that varies from company to company. So you've got to make sure that you know the the compensation that you're getting as a result of what you're of what you're doing is going to be enough to scale and and sustain what you want it to to produce. Okay, fantastic. Thank you for sharing that. So we know a little bit more about your expertise in terms of building a successful business in this arena, and we certainly know a lot more about network marketing. Now, if you could give us a bit of a summary of your story up to launching the business that you're in now, starting with your first job, can you tell us how you got that first job and, and when it was? I went and knocked on Daisy Hill Pet Stores in Little Eaton's door when I was about seven and asked to clean the rabbits out. <laughs> that's genuinely uh, my first the, the one that I can remember bar washing cars and you know wanting to do all, all that kind of and was stuff. were you pressured by parents or was that off your absolutely own back absolutely not no I just wanted to go and yeah do my do my own thing and yeah earn some money from from actually a really young age to be fair so you've always had that sort of entrepreneurial spirit within you from a very young age I, I do think that the the entrepreneur thing is banded around probably a little too too freely these days but I don't think when you're kind of seven that you know really what a, that kind of stuff is. It's just, I think it was probably from having cars on my walls as a, as a kid. I just knew that there was a, a relation between 
money and having some nice things. <laughs> I think that, that that was generally probably what spurred me on, even though I was probably on like three quid for half a day's work at the pet store at being like seven years old or whatever. And were there any other drivers other than the, the posters on your bedroom wall? Were, did you have a, a history of business owners in the family? Were, are you the first to have gone out there and started on your own? No, my, my granddad or my, my granddad, great granddad, um, they had a, a plumbing business and dad decided that, well, the business uh, folded when my dad was, was younger. So he was working for them for for a certain amount of time and then went on to, to go teach plumbing, heating, gas, electricity, that kind of stuff. It's funny, my mum used to um, to do Avon and what have you when she, when she was longer, uh, when she was younger, sorry. And uh, and I remember delivering the books for, for her as well, for, you know, that kind of stuff. They've always done like little little sort of things around their current commitments, but I wouldn't say we're necessarily from an entrepreneurial family. And it's funny that my sister, she works for herself as well. She's got a dog boarding and grooming, uh, sorry, not grooming, uh, dog boarding and walking business. So she works for herself, I work for herself, and both my parents have been employed. So yeah, it, I don't think that's really had anything to do with it. I think once I'd had a taste of working for other people and, and what have you, and I don't really like being told what to do, which is a bit weird, really, from having been in the army. <laughs> you know, you think, well, how, why would you go in the army if you don't like being really told what to do? I think it was more people having a claim on my time. I realised quite young that I didn't like being told what to do and having a claim on my time. Okay, so you got the job in the pet store, we yep. presume. Yeah. What next? What came after the pet stores? I think it was pot washing, the classic pot washer. Then pot washer to milkman, milk did the milk round, Three in the morning at like fourteen fifteen. That I'm not even going to tell you what I got paid for that, but that was one hundred percent slave labour. <laughs> um, uh, little chef, yeah, God rest its soul. It's now Starbucks, isn't it, Leighton? Where did I go from there? Then I figured out quite quickly because between I think sixteen, I started at the old fitness first in in town, just on reception, and just started actually doing that to pay for me to be able to use the gym is kind of where I started to get into health and fitness and uh, and enjoyed being down there my mates were were, were PTs there and, and I was sort of on the reception and I, I realized that you know I enjoyed the weights and and you know hanging around with the, with the big lads and what have you so um, as soon as I uh, hit 18 I decided to go and get my doorman's license and what have you which just sounds absolutely bonkers to me now when I sort of look around and see 18 year olds and what have you you know they look like fetuses um and i just think to myself what did i look like on that door but anyway it paid me an absolute fortune so i realized i could actually work a friday and saturday night and not have to go and do the other jobs <laughs> and what have you and uh, and that was that so i did that sort of 18 to 19 and then went and joined the forces uh, at 19 what was the motivation behind joining the forces it was because I was, I was kind of into my music and what have you when I was when I was growing up. So it was either you know really commit to that full time, but this, the whole music thing and actually earning some decent money don't often go hand in hand, and it was a big risk. And you know it had always been something that that I'd looked at where the forces were concerned. So it was kind of either go be a bodyguard, uh, which was why I went in the forces, or go be a musician. It was like a toss-up between the two, two completely random careers. So either bodyguard or uh, musician, and that was um, bodyguard one. So that's interesting because I would say that you are perhaps now the, the fourth or fifth guest that I've had on the show that has been in the armed forces. So is there a particular skill set or, or mindset or set of attitudes or belief that helps to create successful entrepreneurs most people that have been in the forces 
know what a really shit day feels like. <laughs> okay. So anything after that is is definitely better than uh, yeah. So a a crap day in in business can be poles apart from a crap day in uh, a war zone or something along yeah, those lines. Yeah, your tolerances of crap zones are are taken to the extreme. They're, when they're just different a, references. You yeah. know, you know, a reference to a bad day that if you've never had one of those kind of bad days, you know, you only know what you've been exposed to, right? So, um, I think there's a, there's a really good book actually called I think it's Make Your Bed by uh, I can't remember. You'd be able to put it in the show notes or whatever. Yeah. Um, but that will probably give you everything that you that you need to know. You know that that kind of the and discipline is is a little bit like what we're saying about the resilience. You, yeah, I think I've seen flexed. the video for that. Is it about you start your day off every day making, making your, bed, your bed, and that gives you the little bit of discipline to to keep going with it? Yeah. yeah, and I think you know you have, but don't forget there's you know there's a lot of people that have come out of the forces, male and female, who who haven't taken the discipline with them. So I, I don't know whether it's um, something that's instilled and stays. Or you know whether it's just a random occurrence, I don't know is is the short answer. But you know there's there's a lot of things that I don't want to go on too much of a tangent. But you know for me, I, I wish they'd bring back a national service because I think we would see a lot. A di- I think we would see a different society if they did. If you're not going to go to university, you're not going to go to to college and do further education. Then in you go would be my. What do you think we're missing by not having that? If you're if you're going to go into into the forces and you're, you're not going to you're, you're going to come out different than what you would if you hadn't you know I don't I just don't think you can't not because you there's there's a way of doing things and a, a respect that or a self respect that comes with being able to to go through that kind of process irrespective of what force you go into you know you are you go through a process that they put you through and you pop out at the end something different and i i just think that when when you come out you can't fail to take some of those values with you into into this into civilian life and i think it would be a different society if you know you knew that at 16 you know if you weren't going to go on and further your education and you know go down that route that you that you go into you know a national service and i'm not talking about sending kids off to war and all that kind of stuff i'm talking about going into the you know the military system and getting some discipline and you know learning some some stuff some life skills that are going to serve you once you've you've done that period of time you know there wouldn't be you know the i suppose the antisocial behavior stuff that's that's rife and you know that level of 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 respect for yourself i think will put a lot of that kind of stuff to bed yeah yeah no definitely i can see what you mean with that most definitely so what happened after the armed forces I did just over five years in the force or so. I was an army physical training instructor, um, which which is a really quite a cool job. You generally get left alone. There's a couple of people you don't piss off in the army. One's a chef and the other's a PTI because they both have the ability to inflict pain on you in one way or another. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, loved that job and uh, left in uh, early 2006. Left the forces on the Friday and walked into a job as a personal trainer on the Monday. I was just literally training in the gym and the, the gym manager came over and because she knew me and said, you know, what are you up to? And at the time I was planning on actually going to, to the States and, and doing all that kind of thing. And said, you know, we've got any plans? I says, well, not immediately. No. And she said, would you like to, would you like to PT? So I did. And uh, I quite quickly realized that 
I, I preferred because when you're when you're a, a PTI in the forces, you, you're working on mass with with groups of uh, of guys in this case. So I actually really enjoyed doing the group stuff. So I actually moved more into sort of group fitness and uh, you know teaching like the circuits. And uh, have you heard of a fitness class called uh, well the, a brand called Les Mills? So they do things like body pump, body, body combat, yeah, all yeah. that kind of stuff. So did a load of that kind of stuff and got approached by Adidas in 2009 to go and work with them on a on a basically a program where we were working with Chris Hoy and Victoria Pendleton on taking their training methodology and making it commercial into a spin class so we we worked with those guys on that and uh, Adidas flew me around the world training trainers to train trainers in Shanghai Beijing Taiwan like those sorts of places wow which was which was really really cool. And um, how how did Adidas find you out of the thousands of PTs that must have been out there at the same time? Well, they were looking for people who were able to teach classes, and that's very different to personal training. So it was they were actually put onto me by the then sports director of David Lloyd. So because I'd done uh, master training for for David Lloyd and and like the Kaiser indoor cycling and all that kind of stuff. The uh, the guy at the time, Rob, put me forward. Um, I don't know how the, the the back end conversations appeared. I just ended up at an audition in in London and uh, got on well with uh, Nikki, who was the the Adidas girl, and uh, and that was that was it. So, so, what is life like as an Adidas global personal trainer? It was it was really cool, and they they well they actually exposed me to a lifestyle that I now really enjoy with uh, with Herbalife because you know they would did fly me business class all around the world they put me up in the best hotels you know you'd land in uh in china end up with an entourage and you know it was, it was yeah mad and they'd just pay you a fortune so uh, you, well. you so you were almost a, a celebrity but without the fame and the negative side of that that comes with well, it. for for those guys you know it's funny one of my friends he's um he's a croatian guy and he came he came to me and he says he says matt there's a there's a huge picture of you in the gym in croatia like so back in when we were with adidas we had all these promotional shots and all that kind of stuff so there's i think i'm on a stairway in a gym in germany so like the picture is is on each of the steps so when you step back it actually makes a picture so yeah. it's really quite cool <laughs> and just some random gyms all around the world has got my mug somewhere in there or on a bike or or somewhere so yeah, it's 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 quite it was quite funny, quite funny at the time. Oh, yeah, it sounds like an amazing experience. So what happened after that, and how did that come to an end? Well, we couldn't get Chris and Victoria for uh, 2012 because of the Olympics. So I think my last gig was the Fit Pro Convention in Canada, uh, or the Fit Fit Con, whatever they called it in Canada. So they they'd said to me, look, you know, we we can't take you forward because we can't get Chris and Victoria now. I'm under no illusion that you know adidas isn't a fitness class company they're an apparel brand so if we couldn't get the people that were very famous to be taking pictures of in the kit that we were promoting when we were traveling around then the program just wasn't going to go forward so after 18 months two years that was that was that and i was uh sort of back down to a gym floor wage with a bump from from you know being paid a wedge by those guys yeah how how did you take that how how was that sort of like you say that bump going from being flown around the world 
I mean, how many people were you when you were training? Were you were on stage in stadiums, or you know, was it a few people yeah, that was, you were training was, to? Or it was kind of like a like a rock concert for, for fitness. So they would they'd put like a huge stage out, massive LCD screens, and all that kind of stuff. Presenters like like a rock concert, but you know. And then there was like three, four hundred bikes in front of us doing the doing the spin class and stuff. So you know, they they really you know did it well. Um, so yeah, it was. I, I, you know, I, I try and think back. It wasn't. Um, I don't remember being like massively um, disappointed. It was kind of more like, okay, so what now? What? But before um, before I actually left, I'd already been looking to do something. You know, I wanted to to start my own my own business of some sort. Um, I'd had a dabble with some online stuff, um, which had you know sort of worked out okay. I'd been looking at, you know, could I create a, a class-style gym somewhere? And, you know, so there's a lot of stuff uh, in the mixer. And, you know, when when I looked at the, the Herbalife Nutrition side of things, that was the thing that stacked up the best for me there and then. So you started with Herbalife. So we know a bit about the, the barriers to entry, the support that you have in terms of the the collaborations you have with global icons like Ronaldo, etc. But how do you market yourself from a cold start as a new business owner in the Herbalife world? How do you how do you find your first paying client? The first thing I did was I started using the products and I felt really, really good. So I was one of these guys that was like, oh no, you can eat steak and nuts and what have you for breakfast and all this kind of stuff. And so I had to really put my ego in check to actually go through the process of treating myself as a, as a customer first. So going through the process, because like we said about the low barrier to entry, it actually allowed me to explore and you know utilize the products. And I would say to people, if you've got an opinion on something, you better have either used it, worn it, tried it or whatever, before you start talking about opinions and what have you because other than that you may as well just not say anything at all so first of all using the products felt great thought okay I can I can work with this and then it was a case of well how do I build the Herbalife Nutrition products into a whole foods eating plan so it produces you know a sustainable long-term result for somebody who wants a result of some sort whether that's more energy weight loss fat loss whatever you want to call it so that was how I started to uh, to get my first customers because I was using the products and I was just listening to what people were saying. Oh, I'm tired all the time. Well, come and have a chat with me. I might have something that might work for you, might not, but you give it a shot, see what you think. Yeah, I'll Try this and, and just sample and, and just like we said about getting into conversations with people, but actually more listening to what people were saying because I suppose people knew me from the, the health and fitness industry anyway, so they would generally ask me about this kind of stuff. So as soon as I was able to actually feel the benefit for myself, it was quite easy for me to then go and talk to people. And, you know, my biggest reservation for, for getting involved in Herbalife in the first place was because I w- I'm not a salesman. I don't, I don't ever profess to be uh, a salesman. And when people say to me, you know, I- I'd love to get involved, but I can't, I can't sell. I say, well, great, then you're, then you're perfect because it's not about selling. It's about sharing what's actually worked for you. You know, so for me, the first port of call is is you utilize the product you fall in love with them and you use them as if you you are your own best customer and from there you can't help but listen and it bring you know it brings in your reticular activate activating system in your head which then starts to you know find people quite easily to help so there wasn't any sort of specific marketing channels or strategies or tactics it was literally become an advocate of the brand yourself 
share that and then one opportunity leads to the next another door opens and before you know it you've got people that are paying you for your services exactly and and also because yeah, I call it the, like the perfect team sport because you get to pick your own, your own team. So how uh, network marketing works is that you're able to work with other people, like we said, in order to teach them what you're doing. So all I did was I, re- I reached out to a few people that I knew and said, hey, look, this is what I'm doing. I think you'd be great to work together. Is this something you'd be open to have a chat about? And it was just literally that. Uh, that was how, you know, there was none of this... I'm looking for 10 people to join my team on her on uh, on Facebook or anything like that. It was picked up the phone or email or whatever and said, hey, do you know what? I've just got involved in this. I can see some real potential in it. I think we can help a lot of people. Do you want to have a look? And it was as simple as that. And then I would just chat to them about, you know, what I'm doing, you know, involve them in, you know, in the mission of helping people feel healthier and happier. Is that something that you want to do? And then the the team grew itself by multiple people passing on that that same kind of message and we just went forward as a unit and i suppose in that circumstance you are only successful if you bring on board other people that are also successful there's no point in you bringing people on board that you think have got no chance because nobody's going to benefit from it they're not going to benefit from it customers aren't going to benefit from it and you're not going to benefit from it and and herbalife's not going to benefit from it exactly the the only way you you make an income or the only way that you um, grow your business in any network marketing is if you're helping other people in one way, shape or form. If you're helping them to be successful by them helping them start their own side hustle, whatever it is that you want to, whatever you want to call it, or actually helping them with, with their health and or both. That is the only way you can move up is by helping people move up. And so what percentage of your time now would you say on average on a, on a daily basis is spent on going out there and finding great people to bring on board or or is any time spent on that because you've got such a large team underneath you now to be honest i'm i'm really driven of to to share it with as many people as possible to be fair so um, i spend a lot of my time looking for 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 new people who want to come on board and, uh, and and get involved with this i really do and and including you know customers as well because there's a you know we've got this we've got a complete poor health epidemic going on out there and you know we, we can help a lot of people and there's a lot of issues in terms of you know people losing their jobs massive companies going under like that so we we've got a really solid solution whether that be for a health result or an income result and more people need to know about it whereabouts do you go looking for great people to bring on board to the team a lot actually come through a customer base. They come as being uh, from being product lovers, you know. So whether that's in our nutrition clubs or whether it's from you know utilizing the products, feeling better. So you know, in the past we've been known as like a weight loss club or whatever, and it's not the case. It's oh, it's daily nutrition for for people, you know, helping them change their lifestyle choices in order to be healthier and happier. So once you do that for somebody, and you know they they feel so much better than they have then it's not hard for them to then have people asking them, you know, you, you look fantastic, what's going on, what have you been doing? And then the conversations is really, really easy. And they often ask us, you know, you know how do I get involved? How do I get more involved in what you're doing? Because people are asking me, you know, how I'm doing it. And I actually feel like I want to help them. So that's that's one way. Other ways just in and around normal life. If I get a really good service off someone in a restaurant because they've got a fantastic personality, I will just say to them, I'll say, look, I don't know whether you keep your income options open or not, but you'd be fantastic at doing what I do. 
can we change, exchange some numbers and you know, maybe have a chat about what I'm doing? Because it may suit, it may not. But you know, I'd kick myself if I didn't ask you before leaving. And what are some of those attributes that you look for in people? I, f- I have three particulars, really. Keen, teachable, action-orientated. Because you can't, you can't build... Well, I don't think you can do anything without all three. So you can be keen and teachable, but actually do nothing because you're not taking any action. You can be keen and action-orientated, but you're not teachable, therefore you're running around like a chicken with its head cut off. But keen, teachable, and action-orientated, you, you can do anything and everything with those, I think, three attributes. They're the magic ingredients. What's, what would you say has been your proudest moment so far or your biggest success, particularly over the nine, last nine years whilst you've been with Herbalife? Is there a, a particular moment that stands out? Is there a particular success within the team or is there a particular customer success that really stands out for you? Seeing the guys up on stage getting their recognition from the company from moving up levels is, is why I do what I do. You know, there's the like the income, that kind of stuff. Yeah, great, fantastic. But when you when you see or when you appear in someone's testimonial, that is really really powerful because you know, cash and all that kind of stuff is only get, only going to fulfil you so far. So actually, getting fulfilment from something these days, I you know, I think that's that's actually a, a quite a rare a rare thing. We all know unhappy rich people, you know, miserable rich people, but actually being fulfilled in doing what you're doing. I think is actually quite a rare a rare thing and there's nothing there's no better feeling than when someone's up there and you know like that that they're changing lifestyle circumstances as a result of a conversation that you've had you know so hearing you know oh well it started when I spoke to Matt and th- like that that's so the is best this at thing. like Herbalife conferences where individuals are recognized for certain performance yeah yeah, yeah, and- yeah. so we're we're huge on recognition so you know we we make people they, they get exposed to a recognition that they just don't get anywhere else. You know, the people go nine to five, they work 40 years for someone from nine till six every day. And when they leave, they get a pen or they get a bottle of whiskey or whatever like that. That is not us. We make sure that everybody's recognized along the way. So they enjoy the journey. And it's something that we do very, very well as a company. You know? So whether that's funded holidays all of that kind of stuff right the way through to you know putting someone on stage and making them feel fantastic me seeing my guys getting that is is brilliant what is it that you do that helps them to get there <laughs> as much or as little as they as they want you know i i work with people who want to work with me so i'm not i'm not daft in the fact that you know you have you have people who will put in X amount of effort. I'm not going to work for you is what I'm saying, but I will work with you as much as you as you need. As long as you're putting in your end, I will lock arms with you and, and go my end. What would you say during that first 12 months? You'd come from the armed forces, you'd then been the, the global trainer with Adidas and then back to the back to the gym. What was the biggest challenge for you being a, a business owner during that first 12 months? I suppose the biggest challenge was within that first 12 months had some significant personal issues, problems within that first year, which, because actually from a business perspective that year, we, we absolutely smashed it. You know, we, we grew exponentially in that, that first year uh, and well into the second year. And I think the, the hardest part for me was the, was the personal stuff that I'd gone through 
probably set me back a good couple of years. I think because the you know the foot came off the gas. I was kind of in a bit of no man's land, and I guess when you have explosive growth in your first couple of years and uh, and what have you, it's having that leadership in place in order to then make sure that you know at the very least you stay within a cruising altitude rather than a decline. So actually being able to produce leaders and and get the guys up within a steep learning curve in such a short amount of time is is obviously a challenge but yeah certainly like the yeah the the personal challenge that came within that first year seemingly out of nowhere was was definitely a a bit of a blind side but you know it's all it's all part of the process and it? it's part of the journey everybody's got something going on in in the background that people don't know of which part of the journey do you enjoy the most like if you could pick one activity that you're involved with that you could just do all day every day what would it be definitely bringing on new people and and getting them going there's nothing better than working with someone who gets it who's driven who and I'm not talking about getting it in any particular amount of time but when you see that penny drop and them start going to work and you're doing it together and you're building this thing together that is that's awesome which bits do you not enjoy like if you could pick one thing that you would rather delegate to somebody else or just not do all together what would it be if I could if I could remove something it would be flaky people okay if it I think yeah and that right back at the start I said you know about believing what people do not what they say I think sometimes you can invest so much in people that they just haven't invested in themselves or whether or not they have any intention of doing it investing in themselves I don't know I don't necessarily think it's that but I think you find a lot of good people that talk a good game, but then they don't back it up with the walk. Yeah, and yeah, is is probably a really good way to uh, to put it. And sometimes I think if I, if I suppose I wrapped it up, it's actually probably the frustration of working with people who you just know have such fantastic potential, but they just don't execute for one for one reason or another. Have you have you identified over your years of of bringing great people on board? Have you identified any telltale signs of what might suggest this person is they're telling me the right things, but I'm actually a bit unsure as to whether they're actually going to live it. Gut, gut instinct. I think you you know you know you, you just know. I'm always happy to be surprised because I I and this is the exciting thing about the industry is you just never know who is going to come in to your business at whatever time and seemingly and also it's often the ones that you don't expect to go go um and i i really i I like that because it keeps you it keeps everything really quite fresh all the time now in business is a you know being successful is a is a case of failing getting back up failing getting back up making the wrong decisions adjusting if you could pick one bad decision that really sticks out in your mind can you tell us what that was and what did you learn from it Mm, taking foot off the gas while my head was in a shed basically so yeah I would have definitely have kept my foot to the floor and also make it like so going from like not making very much to making some some decent money that poses its own challenges as well because if you take someone who's never earned you know, more than a couple of grand, and then you give them a serious, serious income, that brings its own challenges as well, because you don't know how to handle that. You don't know how to 
allocate things in the right way. You just want to go, you know, balling and, you know, Wolf of Wall Street in all over the place. The, the good stuff of the Wolf of Wall Street, so <laughs> buying the stuff, not doing the illegals. But you know what I mean? It's, it, it poses its own challenge, you know, it, it really does. And so if you could go back to day one of the Herbalife journey and pick one thing that you'd do differently, other than not taking your foot off the gas when you had the personal problems, what would you do? Probably have done even more. I've, I've really, really gone for it. I mean, I went for it, but I think I would have really, really gone for it. What more would you have done? It, it comes back to the wouldn't have taken the foot off the gas. Okay. But that's that's hindsight, isn't it? And I think it's, it is a cliche, and, but you definitely learn more from, you know, the things that go wrong versus the, the things that go right. And I think also I would, but it only comes with experience, is I wouldn't have given, I wouldn't have tried to fit a square peg in a round hole with, with some people that just, no matter how much you were giving, weren't getting the the stuff back, you know, or you weren't, I would have just tuned in a lot quicker. But again, it comes with experience. And the actual lessons that I've learned over the last nine years are, are absolutely priceless. So being genuine, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change a thing. I would have gone through the, the exact same thing because what it does do is it allows me to coach my guys through who are going through the same, you know, or that I can see they're heading for the same. And this is where what I would call conventional business and network marketing, are, you know, very, they're very closely linked is that it's, it's about being stress tested. It's about doing the time. It's about going through the process. And that's how you then navigate the rest of the, the stuff, you know, and without going through, it, you're never going to learn. And you, you just don't. And I would like to be able to impart that onto, you know, certainly the new guys and all that kind of stuff, which is brings us back, I suppose, where, what we spoke at the, at the start, which was don't overestimate what you can achieve in a year and underestimate what you can do in five to 10. Because within those that five to 10, you're going to be stressed. I said, you're going to learn a whole lot of stuff. But also all that stuff that you're going to learn is transferable to so many other areas in life, like so many. And is also going to enable them to bring on more great people themselves and impart that same knowledge onto the new people that they're bringing on into the business. Well, I hope so. Hopefully, yeah. So let's say then, Matt, we are sat down for part two of the interview. It's mm-hmm. 12 months since we've had this one. What will have happened for you and your business over that last 12 months? Well, we'll definitely have had some significant level changes within within the business. So that's people in your team progressing Mo- yeah. through the levels, moving to the next stages. Mo- moving up. Yeah. Um, our nutrition clubs... I personally will have another at least four or five. That's that's in the plan for the next 12 months. And I, me personally, I would like to have at least eight to 10 new, you know, serious people that are working with me and moving them, moving themselves forward. Like brand new, as a new blood, new business. Yeah, coming, coming through. Sounds exciting. Sounds like you've got an exciting 12 months ahead. So, yeah, Do you know what? I, th- I do, I genuinely think 2020 feels very different to other years i don't know why you know we've had some rough years over the, the sort of last uh, nine years or so but there's, there's just some there's a gut feeling i think about this year and i don't know whether it's everybody i don't know whether it's the you know the political climate or any of that kind of stuff it just feels like a lot of people have are in a position to have their ducks really in a row this year and and to move forward and i 
based on the conversation that, that I've had over the last sort of four weeks in terms of moving my own business forward with the people that are in it and, you know, some of the newer guys that have come through, I think it's going to be um, an exciting year all around. Yeah, and one of the really interesting things that I picked up on throughout this conversation so far is you are essentially a self-employed business owner with the backing of a, a multi-billion dollar business behind you, but you consistently refer to it as we, as in this is our business. You know, it's there's no eyes or mine. And that, for me, is a real good sign that a, a business has somehow instilled some great values of teamwork and cooperation and, and sharing. Is, is, that, is that your own values or is that the values of Herbalife itself? Is that what they promote? Both, both. Because it's a massive pet hate of mine, people saying I. But, you know, this whole self-made this and all that kind of stuff. It's, you, you're as good as the sum of the people that... You, that you work with you know whether that be your employees or whether that be your you know your business partners in terms of a network marketing kind of um uh, setup is that i'm i'm only made to look good by the the guys that are that are really you know doing well you know and all i can do is be sort of a steering point for those guys to help them move their business business forward you know i always say i'll try and find people that are way better than me if i can find people that are way better than me then we're, we're all good. So can you tell us, and I know it's going to be very hard because I can imagine that no two days are the same, but typically how would a day in the life of Matt pan out? Uh, I would, I'm usually up at about six-ish, give or take. Straight in, do you, how, how detailed do you want this to go? <laughs> as detailed <laughs> as you'd like to go. Okay, so I'll literally like, dive out of bed. By dive, I mean crawl on hands and knees, you know, to, till I'm awake yeah same for all of um, us <laughs> yeah yeah all of these people that give you all the bullshit about oh yeah fly out you know I'm up and I'm meditating it's, it's a load of rubbish <laughs> they're lying to you thank god yeah they're, <laughs> yeah, they're lying and don't believe the 5am rubbish either you know get up when your body tells you you need to get up and sleep when you need to sleep I'll go and generally have a cuddle with pepper on the beanbag that's our morning ritual only a couple of minutes while the uh, the kettle's boiling. And is Pepper your partner or your pet? Or oh no, Pepper Pepper's at my Shih Tzu. <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> yeah, yeah. just had her for a she, She's asleep at the time when I'm up. Yeah, she's there's only definitely one six o'clock in her day. Bless her. Yeah, so I get up with Pepper. She just comes everywhere with me. So if anybody bumps into me, usually I've got the. I, I suppose I look like I should have a Rottweiler or a Doberman or something along those lines. Oh no, she's a little Shih Tzu and she's she's awesome. So it gets me into a lot of conversations. I'll ge- I do uh, what's called 30 and 30, so that's um, 30 grams of protein within 30 minutes of, of waking up. So that's just what we've got an amazing product called Ice Protein Coffee, and uh, I make that first thing in the morning, and that's my 30 grams of protein, bang, done, good to go. So, yeah, quickly change out with uh, Pepper into the car, down to the nutrition club, usually for, I'm usually in the club for about quarter past seven, uh, and that's in Duffield. And uh, I'll be there in the club, helping those guys getting going, until probably 11-ish then depending on what's going on in terms of business networking I'll then head out and go go business networking catch up with the rest of the team then usually around about uh, obviously gym in there at some point depending on when that is usually a, a midday to mid-afternoon training session whatever that is and uh, and then it's usually of an evening it can be zoom calls catching up with the team organizational zooms company zooms all that kind of stuff so we're staying on top of things to be able to filter it down to the guys and within that that daily routine do you have any sort of habits or rituals you've mentioned about getting up out of bed getting the 30 and 30 
Are there, is there anything else in there that you feel has contributed towards your success? Are there any exercises or habits that you'd recommend other people get involved with if they're not already doing it? I definitely have my personal development on a lot. So I either read a lot, audios, all that kind of stuff. So on the way to the club, it's a good sort of 20 minutes, maybe a little bit more journey time. So always got the podcasts on, always got some kind of audio book going on of, of some sort generally avoid the news uh, i definitely buy into the not checking the phone until i'm sort of way down the line you know maybe at least an hour or so into my day before i even start looking at that kind of stuff i think people that certainly that haven't done personal development or that listen to you know good audios is just you know start with just trying to have something on that's going to improve you in some way shape or form because you can all sit there and listen to radio one or whatever but it's not teaching you anything and I think if you want to excel, it's if you model if you model success, and you look at what other people are doing. Certainly, the the ultra successful is they're generally they read a lot and they're working on themselves. In fact, they're working harder on themselves than they are on their on their vocation or or you know entrepreneurial endeavors. They're working on them on themselves. You've obviously spent a lot of time in business yourself. You spend a lot of time with owners of other successful businesses within Herbalife. If you could pick two or three attributes that you feel are required to be successful, we've talked about resilience, we've talked about having that emotional um, consistency or detachment from conversations. If you could pick actually a couple of beliefs or mindsets or attributes, what would you pick as your sort of top two or three? Be nice. Be nice to people. You know, obviously be nice until there comes a point that you don't need to be nice anymore. I'm not talking about being a doormat, but be nice to people. Manners go a long way. You know, I was always brought, we were having this conversation uh, with some of the family about just, about manners, you know, general respect and, and manners for people go a long way, without a doubt. What would you say are some of the benefits of being a business owner? Like we know what you enjoy about the job but what you do you actually enjoy about being a business owner time freedom nobody having a claim on your time i think is is really uh important on that front how does your work-life balance differ now nine years on compared to when you first started out it's um it's it's probably pretty similar because i'm i'm in a lifestyle business so like my my business is my my lifestyle and my lifestyle is my business so it's it it kind of and that's a pro and a, that, that's there's pros and cons to that as well because you know sometimes when you're you're having some downtime and stuff like that i think most people who are you know either starting out on their own thing or they they're in business they there's an element of guilt in the background if you're not doing something all of the time so you know learning to switch that off is difficult to do um, because you always feel like you're you're at the beck and call of your phone or you should be if you're not if, if that makes sense I think if depending on what kind of business you're in you know the the financial upside is 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 great um, but then also the financial downside can be there as well so you know it's kind of being that master of your own destiny I think that's a, a huge a huge draw for some and, and a huge like no way I don't want to do that for for others really so yeah I, I'd, I'd probably go with those now if we're talking entrepreneurship and business ownership in general not just network marketing but as a, as a whole category 
What have you found as some of the misconceptions people have about moving into that level of being an entrepreneur or, or a business owner? There's a certain level of speed in which you think you're going to get something and the likelihood is that's not going to happen. So it goes back to that instant gratification that we were talking about yeah. earlier. It's, it's not an overnight success no. thing. It takes some some time. And And even... When it is overnight, as in literally overnight, then the likelihood of it staying around is going to be pretty slim because you haven't you haven't learned the skills in order to to keep it. If it goes in fast, then the likelihood is it's, it's going to come out like the tide. And being able to make sure that you're switched on enough in order to make sure that you know that doesn't happen is really important. And you know, you see people come in too far down someone's journey and expect uh, and assume that that's been a really quick turnaround so if you look at you know really the blow up of social media what would you say instagram maybe three five years give or take Mm. so if someone is um is really showing you the fruits of the labor exactly well let's come back 15 20 years or, or 10 years at the very least as to when it actually actually started and then it may put it into into context but you know i think when you have these like these these YouTube, I mean, people on YouTube are now a celebrity. You know, we had it on Strictly Come Dancing and what have you, like a YouTuber, which would, five years ago, that never would have existed. You know, a YouTube personality being on normal, normal telly and people knowing who they were. So the landscape has, has completely changed. It's about not restricting someone's drive and dreams and all that kind of stuff to say it's not going to happen, but also just giving them the benefit of, Look, the landscape has changed and things are moving at such a, a fast rate these days. But you know, just have an element of realism in your in your thinking. Don't don't quash your dreams or don't don't um, compress what you think is possible. Because I don't think anybody's vision should ever be restricted. But just understand that there you know there's the certain laws of the universe that need to to be at play in order for you to. To, to succeed yeah and, and even with the youtubers and this is something that i often do i'll go back to the first video and before they even start to gain a following they'll have put hundreds of videos on there and they'll have been doing it for years and they're shit yeah exactly Wait, but and that's the thing is that they're prepared to go through that that process of being crap yeah in order to be really good yeah. so it kind of comes with like the the instant gratification thing is is you've got to be prepared to be crap at something in order to be really good at it, whether that's business, network marketing, you name it. You know, when I first spoke to people, I, I sucked. You know, it's just well. In fact, I brought in one of my best, one of my best distributors by literally emailing them by saying, "Hey, I think this would be right up your street. Have a look." I mean, that that's probably the worst <laughs> pitch. pitch or conversation <laughs> with somebody ever. But she's still in the the company today with me and working really hard and. You know, but you've got to go through that 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 I'm going to be crap at it phase in order to get good at it. You don't just insert a chip and then suddenly you're you're, you're incredible. And I think that comes back down to the self esteem that you talked about earlier. People with high self esteem aren't that concerned about putting themselves out to the world mm. and having people criticize it. Whereas people who are too held back by fear of what other people think will, you know. I wanted to start a YouTube channel 10 years ago and you've still not done it. You've just, like you say, you've just got to get yourself out there and be prepared to be terrible. Yep. But that's a process that you have to go through in anything to get good. Mm -hmm. What would you say is the best piece of advice you've received? Always get 
any deals documented properly in black and white always so a guy called uh, Alan Tattersall he's a great guy he I worked with him a, a while back he invests in a lot of sort of uh, mobile come I don't even know how I'd, he was involved with you switching and those kind of guys back in the day and I remember working with him and, and you know we were working with in, in this in this other business and something had happened and he, he pulled me on one side he says he, he sort of became like a little sort of mini mentor at one point and he was like listen, whatever you do in business, you make sure that there is a minute, absolute minimum of a heads of terms, a heads of agreement that both parties have signed. So you have a paper trail on things that you're agreeing because otherwise it's going to bite you on the arse. And had you been burnt at the time? Not me personally, but I was working within a business that was going through that process of, you know, things that maybe have been, you know, sort of not put on the table when the business was bought and all this kind of stuff. So, you know, actually having things in black and white like whether it be contracts in place or whatever it is you know it's like um you're in the, the property game there's a lot of contracts there's a lot for for very good reason right and that was that was one of the, the key things that's always always yeah and it's to protect both sides as well isn't it it's not just the vendor it's to protect the, the customer as well but yeah precisely and also is is live below your means and invest the the difference definitely because you know the and that's not about skimping on lifestyle and all this kind of stuff because you can make a hundred grand a month and be spending a hundred and one and you're still a grand in debt it it doesn't matter you know so live below live below your means and invest the difference so you've mentioned there obviously about staying below your means, which is very difficult when you're earning x to not spend x on material goods and all the things that we're bombarded with through advertising and social media. What are some of the ways that you are able to keep yourself, because you've already talked about you went through that experience earlier on of spending everything, that help to keep you within those limits? Basically, if I can't buy two of them for cash, then I don't buy one. Okay, nice philosophy. And is well, that something it keeps that you... Sorry to cut you off. It, it keeps me on, on a straight and, straight and narrow path. Yeah, well, I, I've heard that said about Ferraris before. Just to take it to the extreme, if you can't afford two then you can't afford one because of all the associated servicing mm-hmm. costs and everything else that comes with it. So was that a, a, a philosophy that you developed yourself or was that something that was, was passed down to you by somebody else? I honestly couldn't tell you whether I read it somewhere or whether I just decided that this is probably the best way to go to go forward, yeah. But it served you well. And I was actually listening to a really interesting book called The Compound Effect Great this book. morning. Darren Hardy, right? Yeah, and, and he was talking about how if you spend, you know, £100 today, if that's invested and it grows at 8% over 20 years, and actually that £100 is worth, you know, five grand to the you in 20 years' time. Mm-hmm. So in 20 years' time, you want to look back at everything you spend and think, yeah, it was worth spending 10 times what it actually cost at the time. So that's an interesting perspective that's on along the same sort of lines. But that's managed to keep you in check when you're out there shopping. You have that at the back of your mind. Yeah, and the, the thing is, the, the the idea is to, you know, is to be rich, not to look rich. You know, they're, they're, they're two different things, which actually is a bit of a dichotomy in, in my industry because, you know, there's there's a lot of, like, lifestyle-associated, you know, with it. So because, you know, we, we have much less what I would call business costs associated, then therefore the upside can be slightly bigger because you you haven't got the infrastructure and everything to have to pay for, right? So, you know, having that kind of nice lifestyle that goes along with it is kind of part of, of the whole lifestyle thing. So I just really made sure that I put my 
myself in check. So obviously going through the stage, like buying the nice clothes and all that kind of stuff and the suits and all that kind of stuff. And that, you know, that that's great. And I do, there are things like quality, quality generally costs money, you know, and, you know, I like watches and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, if someone generally, if you're going to pay a lot of money for something like a watch, then it's not a watch. It's, you know, it's, it's a timepiece. You're buying something that is not because it's, flash or anything like that is because the amount of detail and the and the, the respect that you have for the craftsmanship and and what have you is it that is what you're you're paying for obviously there's going to be people that are going to buy watches because they want to look great in a watch it's it's the reasoning behind i've got more reasoning behind my spend you know i, I like my car so I'm, i want i'm gonna have a nice car because that's what i am passionate about so i generally pay for things that i'm passionate about and don't waste money where things that I'm not bothered about, if you know what I mean. Yeah, so it has to enhance your life, not just buying it for the sake of it. Yeah, and you, it's, it's about that, I suppose, the enjoyment factor and, and I suppose the pride in in you've achieved something that you kind of wanted, but for yourself, not because you want people to look at you and go, oh, wow, look at that or look at this. It's like, well, actually, no, I've got that because that means something to me. I wanted you know, a Breitling or whatever from being a kid because it was a watch that I really, you know, I really wanted right back as far as I can remember. So the first thing that I did when I could actually go and do that was go and get one, you know. Would it be a great investment? Probably not, but it doesn't matter because I I wanted that from, you know, that was my kind of Eleanor, if you want to go to like a, you know, gone in 60 seconds kind of thing. That was my, that was the thing that I wanted. So we know the best advice that's been given to you. If you could go back to 21-year-old Matt, who I believe would have been in the armed forces at the time, mm-hmm. and you could pass on one piece of advice to him to prepare him for the coming years, what would you say? Buy masses and masses of shares in Facebook. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that would have been a very handy piece of advice to give to yourself. I like that. It's coming from a different angle from most other guests, but it's probably <laughs> the Amazon. most valuable advice that you could have given. So if you could pick just one book, and I know this is going to be difficult for you because you've already sent me your list of the books that you have, which is extensive to say the least. But if you could pick just one, and let's relate it back to the business as well. So to, to network marketing, for anybody out there now that's thinking of getting involved, and you could pick just one book that's out there that you think is going to aid them the most what would it be probably building an empire by brian carruthers would be would be that okay what what was the what was the major takeaway or the main takeaway that that you took from that one well if we if we strip back um so take the emotion out of it take the the product out of it and take like if we just looked at i suppose business process within network marketing we're a, we're a distribution company. So the bigger the distribution base equals the bigger the, the company turnover slash profit, whatever you want to call it. So it, the the key takeaway is the, the bigger the distribution base is the basically the, the bigger the return. And that's something that you've based building your own business off the back of the, the concepts and the principles that he talks about in the book. Um, yeah, but we were actually, we were already, we were already doing it before, I'd, I'd even got around to to listening to the book to be fair because it wasn't about that I was going at it in a rational logical manner of build your distribution base because that's how the business grows exponentially it was I found a really good thing here I need to tell a lot of people about it the, there was no kind of pre-loaded 
kind of, I must go out and build a distribution base. It was, this is really cool. Actually, this person would really benefit from this because I know they're struggling. I'm going to have that conversation. And it, and it grew as a result of that. And So um, it was more validation of this conclusion that you'd come to of yeah. your own work for a different reason was actually also a great way to grow the business for the sake of the business not just for helping more yeah. people yeah. and for somebody you know if you know the question is who what would i would i recommend that one book to people then especially yes if they're if they're new because it, it actually takes them through you know a a whole process in 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 what i would call a good way do you have any quotes that you try to live by or that you hold with particular value i think uh, one that always sticks in my head is one from actually the the founder of Herbalife, which is um, you're only limited by your own imagination, your own hard work. That's that pretty much sums up, sums up kind of the way I think there's a guy called Jim Rohn who talks about the lessons of the seasons. And I think that's very, very important for not just business people, but for everybody to understand that, you know, there's you, you hang in there because you may be experiencing summer now, but autumn and winter's coming, so you better be prepared. And you know the lessons are like the sowing and the re- the, the the sower and the reaper. So lessons of the season, the sower and the reaper. Um, get it on YouTube or whatever, um, and look up Jim Rohn, R O H N. I think that's quite. I think th- those kind of philosophies are really timeless. Yeah, and he's got some amazing quotes. Even if you were just to search Jim Rohn quotes it's on like, Google, I could I could best put it across. It's like having a wise old grandfather talking to you. Like that's the way he comes across in his in his philosophies. And if you haven't, you know, gone and listened to any of that, any of his stuff, then go and do it because it, you know we're talking maybe what forty odd years ago. Um, you know, right up until I think he I think he died maybe ninety six, ninety seven. Um, and you know his his business philosophies are just completely timeless. And I would recommend anybody goes. Yeah, and a lot of the teachings that people, particularly the gurus like the Tony Robbins, it is. Well, he was a student. Yeah, regurgitated from Jim Rohn's original stuff. So yeah, who actually came as a result of a guy called Earl Shoaff. Okay, Matt. So we're coming to the end of the interview now. I've got two more questions before I let you go, though. The first one being, and again, I think because you are in a different arena, it's going to be good to be a bit more specific and relatable to people who are thinking of entering this arena. So if you could. After all of your years of experience, you know, starting from that pet shop right up until where you are today, and we were sat in some in front of somebody now who is keen and ambitious and wants to get started in in network marketing, not necessarily Herbalife, but just in this type of business, and you could give them three pieces of advice that would see them be successful as, as quickly as possible, given that it's still going to take time and, and prepare them best, what would those three pieces of advice be? Make sure that you really really like the company product service that you're that you're working with because if you're in the game and you want to be in a game a long time you've got to you know really love that product service or other two would be understand that it's like everything it's a numbers game and you know 80% of the result is going to come from usually 20% of the organization and three would be make sure that you're building your organization to last. Thank you for sharing those, Matt. Three great pieces of advice. And my final question for you, if anybody that's listening wants to find out more about you and maybe joining the team or finding more about the services that you provide or wants to find out more about Herbalife, whereabouts should we go? 
Well, you can either obviously find me on LinkedIn, Matt Elliott, double O double T. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at Matt Elliott Biz. In fact, all my social media is generally Matt Elliott Biz, as in B I Z. Or you can go to 24derby.com, which is um, a nutrition club website, and you can find us through there. So, yeah, any of the above. Okay, fantastic. And all of those links will be included in the show notes over at benjaminbrain.co.uk forward slash Matt Dash Elliot. So, Matt, thank you for taking out some time to share your business experience and truths with us. I've learned an awful lot and um, just want to thank you for taking some time out of your busy schedule. Yeah, thanks, buddy. I appreciate you having me. Congratulations on all your success so far and I just want to wish you and the rest of the team the best of luck for the for the rest of the year and look forward to catching up and seeing how things progress. Cheers, buddy. Part two. It's, it's in the diary, <laughs> yep. And f- as always, thank you to the listeners for tuning in and uh, look forward to catching up with you on next week's episode of The Truth About Business. One final thing before you go, if you enjoyed this interview and want to make sure you don't miss out on the next episode with another real-life business champion, make sure you subscribe via iTunes, Spotify, your favourite podcast app, or by visiting my blog at benjaminbrain.co.uk and hitting subscribe. At the blog, you'll also find the show notes to this episode, which includes all the relevant links to the website, social media channels, contact details, and anything else that was discussed in the episode. Just type in the name of the guest, and that will bring that right up for you. And finally, I'm always on the search for great business owners who would be happy to spare just a couple of hours of the time to share their business experience with our audience. So if you know of anyone that would make a great guest or you'd like to feature yourself, just let me know. Send an email to hello at benjaminbrain.co.uk and I'll reply personally as soon as possible. Also, if you've got any feedback, questions that you'd like me to ask our guests or any other suggestions, I am definitely all ears. That email address again is hello at benjaminbrain.co.uk. So that's it for this episode. I just want to thank you sincerely for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. Stay hungry, stay fearless, get out there and make it happen.